what's new, Emily? Oh, I hate going first. Nate, if you're listening to this, I really need you because I hate going first. Do you want me to go first? No. You just have to ask me and then I could go first and then. So what's new with me is um, la- this past week we went to support our friend Brad Ferris and he had an art gallery in Frostproof because he's an artist. He's the guy who does the pop and pineapple. Yes. They, if you listen to the live show, Brad Ferris was on the live show. Yeah. Um, but for any new listeners, he he's like an artist. He's a cowboy. He sells paintings. He's an art like he sells paintings and makes a lot of good money. Honestly, like his paintings are gorgeous. He he does paintings. He's an author. He's a poet. He is a he owns cowhuntersunlimited.com. You can find all of his stuff there. Oh yeah, he did one of our My Florida entries mm-hmm. for writing about the state and mm-hmm. it was it was so good. Okay. I'll tell you, I got a little flustered, honestly, because we, we went to his show and he went to hug me and he took off his hat like a real, like a cowboy. And I was like, oh my God, I don't think I've ever hugged a cowboy. For real. For real. He's a cowboy. I know. <laughs> anyway, um, that is what's new with me, but I have to tell you actually That about- you got hugged by Brad Ferris is what's new with you? <laughs> no, no, no. Sam, if you're listening to this, <laughs> apologies. Sam knows. Because Brad's like you, so I'm sure Sam has women all around all the time. No, what was most interesting about that night is what happened on the way to the art gallery. Travis thinks that he saw a black bear on the side of the road. It wasn't on the side of the road. It was in a pasture. That was adjacent to the side of the road. 300, 400 yards away. It was not, I thought I saw a black bear. It was a black bear. It was not a black bear. Have you ever seen a black bear? Yeah. When? On TV. Okay. There Same we go. place you've seen them. End of discussion. It was. No, I have seen them I in the woods I did see the, the animal in question. I swear that it was a, it looked like a dog. It was not a dog. And then I was like, is it a tiny cow? And Travis, we were going 70 miles an hour down the road. And he says, it's a black bear. Now there are literally cows all over. No, there were there no were, cows. They weren't near this pasture. particular animal, but. You look to your right and there are cows and there are black cows 300 yards from the road and they look exactly like this animal that we saw on the left-hand side of the road. And Travis swears it was a black bear. Will and I saw it. We do not believe it was a black bear. And now there is a rift in the family. There's no rift. Around the black bears. There's one person that spends 250 days a year outdoors and two people that spend, well, at least one of those two people spends all of his time indoors. There's Here's no another, this is another funny it's thing a black bear. about being married to Travis. He called for reinforcements for people who were not there to visually see the animal in question. He started calling people to, to take his side and verify that it was a black bear and they were not even in the car. Because I was outnumbered by people that had no idea what they were talking about. Except for we actually were first witnesses of it. The only thing I was uncertain about for a moment was, was it a bear or a hog? But then I, I waited until I saw it turn and then I got the angle on it. And it was a cow. It was a bear. It mooed. Oh my gosh. We'll, we'll just walk by and nod at his head at me. Yeah. He confirmed. Oh my gosh. Please help me. Please anyway, send help. That's what's new with me. Um, we are not experts in black bear identification. Two thirds of us are not. Okay. Um, what's new with you? Okay. So this week we're going to do a little bit of a different format. I'm going to make it similar to last week where I had eight things and I just went down them, but we're going to add Emily in and just allow her to chime in wherever she wants. Um, we are going to speculate that Nate is probably not awake at the time of this recording. 
because we're oh, doing. He this. was at the Georgia game, wasn't he? I think he went to Florida, Georgia. I haven't confirmed, but at at the time of this recording, it's still pretty early on Sunday, and I'm gonna guess that Nate is um, asleep somewhere because he's a Georgia fan and has been since he met Catherine. He married into it. Yeah, but he's a pretty diehard Georgia fan now. So I'm, I have mixed emotions on that, but I'm happy for Nate that he's found an allegiance there with with the the Uga Bulldogs. The Bible says leave and cleave. It's true. It he, does say that he left and cleft. Um. So growing up, Nate was always an FSU fan that I remember. Although I don't, I don't know if I remember Nate being that diehard of a football fan. They always had failing Alabama, so they were kind of. Kaylee's always been an Alabama fan, but she went to FSU. Like, I'll bet. I'll bet you're wrong. I bet Nate was at church this morning. You think so? Mm-hmm. Bright eyed and bushy tail, getting holy. But he was. The game was in Jacksonville, so like churches in Atlanta. I, I'm I'm guessing they stayed the night in Jacksonville. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So, it is the world's largest cocktail party in Georgia put a butt whooping on the Florida Gators. So we watched a little bit of the game from our hot tub. We did from our inflatable <laughs> hot tub to make it, you got to make it Hold sound on. classier. We, we watched a free feed of the game on YouTube on my iPhone while we were in our inflatable hot tub. Yes. There you go. Which is on our back porch. Bougie AF. <laughs> um, so I have a list of eight things again that I'm going to go through and I'll just take you guys through them really quick. This will be a shortish episode depending on Emily. It all depends on Emily. Everything depends on me. 100% of the world depends on Emily. So first thing, very quickly. Oh, I didn't do an ad last week. I totally forgot to do Hallett. <laughs> awesome. Fletcher Hallett. Hallett Insurance, 904-315-5812. Call or text. He will write your policy on whatever you got. Just reach out to him. Let him run the numbers. He's helping me out with some policy stuff right now. He's a good dude. He's in our Facebook group. He's in our world. He's a sportsman just like us. He shows up at a commission meetings. I'm running out of things to say about this guy other than you need to call him and get your insurance. Quoted. I heard he can bench press 250. Uh, having met Fletcher, I'm not saying he's out of shape. I'm not sure he could throw up 250. I'm just saying like if we're running out of things to say, we just got to start making things up. Oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah. I world, heard he holds the Guinness world record for longest slingshot of a rubber band. World record holder, Fletcher Hallett, Hallett Insurance, 904-315-5812. Is that false advertising if we just make something up, but he has no idea that we were making it up? I think that there's no rules about false advertising because everything is false. Okay, perfect. This is not, the reality you think is reality is not actually reality. Here's the eight things. First off, midweek duck hunts. Um, I talked, Emily's like, you should talk about that on the podcast. Evidently, we unsubscribed Emily from the podcast. I don't actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> I get a live feed every day of Travis. Um, so I did talk. I, if, you, <laughs> if you texted me about. Mid- I didn't mean that dirty, but it sounded dirty in my head after I said it. If you texted me about, I'm ignoring her. If you texted me about midweek duck hunts or being on the bench for any of that stuff, I've got your text. I left you unread so that I could get back to you. I will get back to you in the next week or so. Um, I got a lot of work I'm putting in on the ground this week, but I'm going to start filling in gaps in the next two weeks. Second thing's pretty interesting. Christmas guides are coming. I'm going to try to get these posted on the website. Does that mean there's a guide who specializes in Christmas hunts? No, it means, you know exactly what this means. Guides to Christmas gifts. Gift guides. Gift guides. That That's a better way of saying it. Um, if my mom is listening to this, which there's no chance my mom is listening to this either because she doesn't know how to work iTunes. But if my mom is listening <laughs> to this, um, I'm working on a list for you, but it'll be very similar to our Christmas gift guide. But we posted that in a Facebook group last week. There was a fantastic thread on if you needed an idea. I set the threshold at 125. I said, I want gifts under 125 bucks. And then, cause I feel like that's kind of what our family, that's kind of the number. Yeah. Like, like for immediate family, that's kind of the number. And then I said, bonus points if it's under 50. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to go back through all those, put all the reasonable ones in a Excel spreadsheet and draw and mail a hat to the person that gets the random draw winner. Oh, I hope it's me. Yeah, it might be you. Funny you made, story you about, made three really good yeah, suggestions. Funny story about that post. I actually had a TikTok video saved of this girl who recommended stocking stuffers for men in your life. And it was so applicable to hunters that I saved it. And then Travis did that post and I had to go blow my own self up and like put the three things that I was planning on getting for his stocking on the post. But then the third thing I posted, which was a solar charger, was an Amazon lightning deal that night. So I actually had to come in here and like shake him awake and say, do you actually want this thing that I was planning on getting you? Because it's like $5 off. And so I got it for him and now it's on the kitchen table. Boom. The end. And then I found $5. The new truck. I mentioned last week that we bought a new truck. Well, not new, but new to us. Uh, Emily has named the new truck. First off, do you guys name your vehicles? I'm assuming you all name your vehicles. We've named every vehicle we've ever owned. My last truck I mentioned was named Beulah. Uh, the truck before that was CJ. Mm-hmm. Your car is Pearl. My car, I've only ever had three cars in my life. So my car is Pearl. My previous car was Kathy. Kathy the Cavalier. My first car was named Roshika. Yeah. So we name every car um, and they're usually female names, right? Have to be. Have to be female names. So would you like to tell everyone what you've named the truck? I have named the truck Joe Bennett. <laughs> if you're not familiar with Joe Bennett. <laughs> this is a throwback to The Office, the TV show towards the later seasons. There is this wonderful, uh, is it Kathy Bennett? It's Kathy Bates. Bates. Kathy Bates is the actress. And she comes on and plays this old Southern woman who does not take any crap off anyone. And she's very fancy. Like she's wealthy. Um, but she's very practical. And so I felt like our our truck is silver and it's very nice inside. And but it's it's a work truck and it just felt right to me. Joe Bennett was right. Joe Bennett is right. And I I fought Joe Bennett for a couple of days. Will actually suggested Mags Bennett. Once <sighs> once the Bennett thing came from in, Justified. Which yeah. is one of the best villains in all time from Justified. But I feel like um Mags is a little plainer and I feel like the truck is really pretty mm-hmm. to me. Like it's, uh, you said silver. I go gray, like, like charcoal gray. It's not silver to me. Like it's not shiny, but anyway, we're going with Joe Bennett. I feel like that's the right answer. Joe Bennett. So maybe we should get a Sabre license plate for the front of it. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, number four, this is a reminder. If you're a public land waterfowler, you have from the day this airs 12 days to scout. If you're scouting after that, you're not scouting. You're just hurting yourself and everyone else. Don't go bump the ducks. Don't go just running the shoreline, burning up the ducks. <sighs> like this year, I'm going to be doing some private land hunts. I'm going to be doing a lot of public land hunts too, but geez, guys, like, like get out there and scout now. Go after work, take off a little bit early. You know, you can. Leave work a little bit early. The time change is not till next Sunday. So all this week, you can take off a little early. Go, You can go bump the ducks, and it, it won't hurt anything this week. But next week, they're going to start counting those interactions as interactions. Like, they're going to start having them more frequently, and they're not going to come back to the spots. So please, don't go bump the ducks. Are we, Emily, I have a question for you. That's my fifth thing. I have a question for you. Are we skipping Thanksgiving decorations going straight to Christmas? That is on the table in this house. Is it? It is. Can I apologize because I feel like we really kind of dropped the ball on Halloween decorating at our house this year. Like we were, we were going to get into it really early oh, yeah. and then we kept putting it back and it just you 1000% left me out to dry on the Halloween de- decorations. I'm sorry you feel that way. I didn't feel like it was all me. Is it all me? 
Let's not do this. Okay. Let's not fight in front of the kids. Okay. Um, so <laughs> we are skipping Thanksgiving going straight to Christmas. Well, here's the thing. I don't even know if we have Thanksgiving decorations, honestly. I feel like they blend together with the Halloween decorations. I don't remember where I put them from year to year. And I'm sort of over it because I miss Halloween and now I'm grumpy about it. So like, Merry freaking Christmas. Let's just do that. So I only have to redecorate one more time. Can I tell you something we did do good on Halloween this year, though, is we went to Big Lots and we bought some Halloween lights that we put in our fireplace. And we've used those a lot this year. We have. And we each bought for our office the $5 string of pumpkin lights. We have. And we've used those. Mine are dead. They're actually on right now, but they've been on for three days. And the other thing we did good was we watched Hocus Pocus. No. Yeah. We watched Hocus Pocus Mm -hmm. as a family, which is always a big deal for you. Mm -hmm. Like you've been wanting to do that for 27 years. Yeah. I was allowed one holiday movie. (laughs) She said that there was a, there was a submission form that she had to put in and I actually used to, I wanted to watch Adam's family. Oh, I forgot that you did one. And you guys, you guys are literally the worst at supporting my dreams. That was your dream? Yes. And and then Christmas, we're going to have to start the week of Thanksgiving watching Christmas movies and Hallmark movies, which made me want to literally vomit in my mouth. Ugh. Sand County Almanac. This is the next thing. Sand County Almanac. The book club is meeting this week, the week that this airs. Cameron Bissell is going to be putting that together. We will share the Zoom link. If you've read Sand County Almanac, great. If you haven't, this is airing on Tuesday. The book club, I think, is meeting Thursday. You have time to download it and listen to it. It's like a four-hour book. Like you could you could listen to it in two commutes, just about most of you. So, and it's a book that's well worth listening to. Um, Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold, probably next to the North American Conservation Model book, one of the greatest conservation books ever written. Hmm. And it's really well written. Do we have the audiobook of it? We do. Oh, sweet! I may do that. We have it on Audible because I bought it. I've we've got the book too over there. But I didn't want to reread the book, and I was putting a lot of windshield time in, so I just I downloaded it with one of our free Audible credits mm-hmm. and listened to it. The not sponsored by Audible. Not sponsored by Audible. This is not sponsored by anyone except Hallett. Um, guide licenses. I posted about this this weekend on Facebook. That's an interesting discussion that's starting to ramp up a little bit. Um, are we for them? Or are we against them? Good discussion out there about that. Here's where I'm at. Now you got to specify, I feel like you just, you always just jump into the deep end of the pool, but we, like fishing guide, we have licenses for them. So this is specifically hunting guide licenses. That's a good, that's a good point. So in the fishing world, you're required by the Coast Guard to have a captain's license to take paying customers. You are required by FWC to buy a guide's license to take paying customers fishing. Um, in the hunting world, we have no sort of regulation around hunting guides. So Emily could tomorrow decide she wants to be a hunting guide and start booking trips. I, I tend to go the way of, I don't like overregulation of things. And if Emily could do that, pull it off and make money at it, more power to her, less power to the consumer. If they don't do their research on, on, you know, the hunts and anything else. Mm-hmm. Natural consequences. Yeah. The invisible hand. If you're an economics guy. But I also think it's kind of ironic that on one hand, the state regulates fishing guides so tightly because you you have to have a guide's license for saltwater fishing and a different guide's license for freshwater fishing. So the state regulates those one way, but for management of the resource on the game side, there's no regulation there. So it's just odd to me. I think it's a discussion, but I also think it's a discussion that is coming at a state level because we're seeing so many people creep into guiding 
like every year it feels like there's more and more people. And that's really, I don't know. I'm old school on this. I hate to be an old, old get off my lawn guy, but I feel like you should have a lot of experience before you're taking people to do this thing. And I feel like that's not really necessarily the way we work anymore. How do you figure there's more people guiding, trying to guide professionally when there's like a decline of hunting license sales? Don't know. I mean, like, I wonder if they require their clients to be licensed and it's just like everybody just does a crapshoot. Well, yeah, because that is a difference on fishing. You know, if I buy my guide's license on fishing, that covers the license of whoever's fishing in my boat. Right. On hunting, you can't buy a license that covers the people hunting with you. So I recognize that. But ironically, there was a discussion at the October commission meeting about looking at that license for saltwater fishing guides because the anglers don't count as fishermen in the state if they don't buy a license. So say I buy my guide's license. Mm-hmm. And let's say 200 people come from out of state and fish with me on my boat, okay, in a, in a year. They don't get that data. Not only that data, they don't count as fishermen for Dingle Johnson, Dingle Johnson, Wallet Bros, Sport Fish Restoration Funds. Oh, so we don't get that allocation back from the feds, which could be, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars mm-hmm. on the fishing side. So part of me is like, well, then why do we have it on the fishing side? But if we're going to... I just don't understand the inconsistency and I think that conversation is coming and I think we need to be prepared for that conversation when it gets here. And I say we, the cast and blast world, the all Florida world, but also collectively, I think we need to be more prepared for it than we are today because today we're kind of disorganized about stuff like that. I think um, from like an economics perspective, I feel like it would be smart of FWC to require hunting guides to have a hunting guide license for the state of Florida because, um, FWC could create an economy. So like Amazon is where you go to buy stuff, right? FWC could have a site that is like, this is where you go to connect with licensed guides in Florida. And if you happen to book a hunt going through their site, they get a kickback, right? It's like another profit generator and it would tie directly to hunting numbers. The term, the term that they like to use is revenue stream. And that's Mm -hmm. a great point. And that's what fishing booker does on the saltwater side. But what Fishing Booker does is goes out and books clients before they book the guide and then they charge the guide for the trip. Hmm. So they get in between and create this thin economy there where they marginalize, they, they, they SEO. They resale. They SEO and almost, yeah, it, it's a really kind of crappy situation. But again, it's it's America and it's kind of how this, this stuff works. I say be a good guide, be ethical, be responsible, put bust your tail to put people on whatever you're putting them on and let it sort itself out. It's hard though. Like in the social media world, it's almost like the guides who promote themselves the most will get the most traffic on the web and then the most money coming their way from people booking. But that doesn't always mean they're just because they're noisy online. Doesn't mean they're quality. Well, and I think there's a, there's another whole conversation around that around brands and sponsorships. Mm-hmm. Like not just talking about pro deals. I'm talking about sponsorships, like actual money changing hands, free gear, that sort of thing. I think the ones that are noisy get that and get promoted and not the ones necessarily in the trenches. They're doing the best job out there. Yeah. So I think, I think sometimes the name supersedes the, uh, uh, not always, but I think sometimes I'm getting myself in trouble a little bit there, but I think that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Um, the last thing I have on my list is two more controversial items. But I lumped them together. Panthers and manatees. The first one, I'll start with Panthers. If you're on our Facebook group, I've been sharing, um, from JB Ranch or Lisa Pretty, uh, 
some posts she's been doing about Panthers taking calves on her ranch. And I'm sharing that for a reason. It's not to demonize Panthers. It's because I think it just is something we miss in the conversation when we talk about Panthers. You know, I want Panthers on the landscape. I think they're neat. I think it's cool to see this giant cat living in Florida. But at the same time, I, I, I know I've met Lisa one time, but I, I know of her and I know of her reputation. She used to be an FWC commissioner. Mm-hmm. Their ranch is pristine. It's gorgeous. Like they manage it well for wildlife as well as cattle. Um, she helped rescue this panther. It got hit by a car and she went and helped get it and rescue it and everything else. They rehabbed it. They collared it. They turned it loose. So it's got a GPS tracker. So every time they find a calf that's been taken, the same panther is near the calf. <laughs> so, you know, I think, and I don't understand the nuance of this well enough, but I feel like at a high level, they don't get reimbursed for a panther kill of a calf from the government mm-hmm. unless it's like DNA evidence of a panther kill of the calf. I'm being a little facetious in saying that, but it's it's really hard to kind of get that reimbursement. And part of me wonders, why doesn't the government just pay them some kind of subsidy every year and say, hey, you're going to have 200 calves. We're going to pay you X number. And I know that gets really expensive really fast, but it's not like this is happening at ranches across the state. If you're in Ocala, you don't have panthers eating your calves. And the panther is on the ESA and you know, there's, there's all sorts of, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but it's just kind of like what's in my head rattling around right now. And we've seems got, like, sorry, go, no, you go ahead. And it seems like instead of like a subsidy that would cover some percentage, like whether you have a calf taken or not, if they have tracking data on a Panther and the Panther is within two miles of a ranch and there's a, a report of a calf taken on the date and the date sign up, then you could receive some kind of, stipend or or, something yeah like a like a mortality reimbursement or something yeah but also like isn't that the cost of doing business well isn't that nature doing nature things i think you could say that on one hand but i think you could also say that the state spends a whole heck of a lot of money reestablishing this giant cat that's a predator that wasn't there 25 years ago Mm -hmm. in the i think at one point they said the number was down to 25 or 7 or i forget what it was but it was crazy low and so they brought in cougars from Texas reintroduced them to bring them back. And now as ranchers are starting to have that mortality incident, like, like if a rancher has like out West, a wolf takes their, they're allowed to go shoot that wolf. Mm. I'm not saying we got to get, let Lisa go shoot that, that Panther, but I am saying we should offset that because we are the ones that put that. Yes. Nature should take its course, but there's nothing really natural anymore. If you don't include man in the conversation. Because man's been here a long time, mm-hmm. so I, I I think I think if you were letting nature take its course, that involved man taking care of their crop, their their herd. Mm, that is a hard one. That's it's a, a hard, hard one. problem to solve. It's it, it's interesting to watch it unfold. So um, anyway, it's a, but it's a thing I'm going to continue to share because I think we don't shy away from the hard problems. I don't know the answers to this at all. Like I'm far from well-spoken on this subject, but I think it's something we really need to keep an eye on. Well, where does the, like, I have a follow-up question. Where does the, what's the tipping point for when Panthers are no longer protected because we have enough of them? So I think that discussion is, is out there and that's going to lead into the manatee discussion here in a second. Okay. But, but I think, I think those are the right questions that people need to be asking the problem is it's such an emotional thing because people are so connected to the Panther as like a, as like a, I, I don't even know, like a, I, I love the term avatar, but like it, they're emotionally connected to it. They're vested in, they want to have Panthers here. So if you live in Orlando in downtown Orlando, you like the idea that there's Panthers somewhere in the Everglades. 
you're not worried about a rancher's interaction with that panther. You're not worried mm-hmm. about a hunter's interaction with that panther. You're not worried about the panther eating all the deer. It's kind of romanticized, but the practicalities of it are swept under the rug. Correct. It's a lot harder than it is theoretically if I'm sitting, you know, yeah. in Jacksonville or Tallahassee. I'm going to lead into manatees, and and the reason manatees came up is is this last week. Um, I know Jeff Corwin is doing a thing on manatees that airs before we after we record this, but. Um, the, the the prop guard post kept making the rounds. Did you see this, him? Mm-hmm. Where, if you haven't seen it, it looks to me like some kind of a plastic guard that goes around the... the it looks like an electric fan. Yes, it turns your prop into looking like a fan. Because it's got like a cage around the prop. But it's not a metal cage. It's a It looks plasticky to me. Mm. Oh, yeah. It looks like you got it at the Walmart. But um, now... Okay, so this this post exists in two different worlds. First, I think it was posted by Save the Manatee Club, um, and it said something to the effect of, these are mandatory in Norway. Why aren't they mandatory here? I'm like, okay. And if you see it in a, I'll, I'll term these, and I'll be very stereotypical on how I'm going to term them. Please don't hold that against me. But if you see this in a non-consumptive group, an environmental group, mm-hmm. the the bird and wildlife of Florida group, they will post it and say this should be mandatory for everyone. There's no panther or there's no manatee loss that's acceptable, blah, blah, blah. If you see it in a fishing and or hunting group, a consumptive user group, you see it as in this is so stupid, these will never work, and there's too many of the damn things anyway. So it's like there's no middle ground, but I think the middle ground is are we at the carrying capacity of manatees in the state? Right. Like we are, we, we, we reached and I had conversations this, this week with some people I really respect and really trust their opinions on this, not just their opinions. Like they've worked in it in manatees. Um, you know, we're looking kind of at a future wherein if we're going to continue to have this many manatees, where our warm water comes from is going to have to be accounted for, you know, cause manatees are attracted to the, to the power plants. Right. Um, so we've created artificial springs for them. We're going to keep those running. Uh, and we may have to subsidize feeding them at those springs if we want to continue to grow the population of manatees. But there's so freaking many. I mean, a thousand years ago, if you imagine it, the the Native Americans that were in Florida, the Spaniards that came to Florida, they were killing manatees. Like there were no protections of manatees back then. So there's probably as many manatees right now as there ever have been. I, I would think that's a that's a pretty strong argument you could make. But I think we have to be careful. As I, me being a, more of a hunter than you are, that we don't just jump to the, well, there's enough of them now we need to kill them. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I would sign up to try manatee if it was ever on the menu at a restaurant. <laughs> I, I just think that would be fascinating. But I also am not like bloodthirsty, bloodlust. Oh my gosh, I got to go kill one as soon as it's available. I think there's a little bit of a fine line there. And I think that's a, that's a hard conversation that we maybe as sportsmen don't like to have because we want the resource back. Um, and I think maybe we've got to recognize that maybe we do get that resource back someday, but maybe we don't ever get that resource back. Maybe, maybe the new version of Florida with 21 and a half million people on it, there's certain resources that we don't get back. Not because of public pressure, but because of you've got such a thin line on sustainability with that resource because of the other pressures. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it like the way I'm interpreting your argument, it sounds like that the choice is to either put 
fan cages around your propeller blades to keep from injuring a manatee accidentally or hunt them and kill them. Okay, that's not my argument. Okay, that's what it sounded like to me. That's not my argument at all. Um, no, the fan cages won't work. Like, like there's even Save the Manatee Club has a statement out there on them. Like, they may save a handful of manatees a year, uh-huh. but most manatees are killed by boat collisions or killed by the impact. Okay, that fan cage is still going to impact that manatee, mm-hmm. and usually it's the hull that impacts before the prop does. Yeah. So the fan cages set them aside. I just think it's recropped kind of the charismatic megafauna discussion around manatees, similar to panthers. And I think sometimes we look at it at a as consumptive users as a break even. Like it's either we can't hunt it or we should be able to hunt it. And I think there may have to be a gray area in there where you talk where we're able to have reasonable conversations about how many of this species can this state carry. Mm-hmm. And then like if we're at capacity, do we have like a hunting season for them or how do we, but I'm saying there may have to be a buffer in there. Yeah. Like maybe we have to reach this carrying capacity for 10 years. God, you know what else is th- part of that conversation is like people are not going to like, that's not a good look for hunters to kill a fluffy no. baked potato manatee. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, like I would go ahead and pass on that because of the, the push <laughs> because of the bad PR. So my, my, that's what I'm trying to say is, if you reach that carrying capacity, you could say that historically we were allowed to hunt. I'm making this up. In the 1820s, you could hunt manatees. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's because the only impacts to those manatees were man. There were no boats running around. And they're natural predators. Right. There were no impaired water systems. There were none of all these other functions. So it was not just you hit a tipping point on a, on a population and now we can hunt them again. I think there has to be a buffer between you hit the tipping point on the population and then you could have a sustainable harvest of them. And I'm not, I would never advocate for hunting manatees. I think that's crazy, but I do think you could go to the, the endangered species act and argue that once an animal has fully recovered, if it's a manageable resource and could be hunted in sustainable levels, you could generate a revenue stream to help protect that animal moving forward. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of a basis of a lot of conservation funding historically. Yeah. I think it's a really uncomfortable, really strange conversation, which is why I kind of wanted to have it. I don't know any of the answers on it. Don't know that much about manatees other than it feels like there's a whole bunch of them. Um, We see them all the time, but that's not a bad thing. Like I like seeing them. I think they're neat. And I've had them make clients days when they see a manatee come up by the boat. Oh yeah. So that's the the coolest. Those are my eight things that I had on list. Do you have anything that we didn't discuss that you want to touch on? Mm. Thoughts and prayers for Nate. <laughs> I'm sure Nate's doing just fine. Um, no, I just I can't believe it's November. Tis, tis the season. Are you doing no shave November? No, I never do no shave November. Okay. You don't like it when I when I have whiskers. Mm. Yeah, you like me a little scruffy, but not mm. a lot of scruffy. I don't know. I just feel like you have to get your duck season beard. I never have a duck season beard because I I was not taught how to like like how do you manicure your beard. I guess I would have to go watch a YouTube on that. And so it's just easier for me to shave it off every couple of weeks and be done. <laughs> All right. You're, you're no, no must, no fuss. Yeah. I want simple. That's why my haircut has been the same since I was 16. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you guys all for listening. As always, please tell a friend about the podcast. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple podcast reviews. 
uh, please, if you can, we could always use your support on Patreon. These shows do not cost $0 to make. We have to pay for hosting. We have to pay for equipment, the whole nine yards. And you can always cast out, check out the Cast and Blast Florida shop. Although I will tell you outside of hats, we're a little low on, so on shirts, we're a little low on some of the sizes, but Go check it out. Thank you guys so much for all your support. One more thing. One more thing. You've Emily talked said, about the Facebook group like 50 times, but you never told them the name or how to go find it. Cast ampersand blast FL dash the group is on Facebook. That's kind of our online presence. You could join there. Lots of fun conversations about anything and everything, hunting, fishing, but also candy corn has been a hot one in the last month. And I've got to think Thanksgiving sides are about to become hotly contested. Oh, or what do you do with your leftovers? Yes. Um, Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Y'all have a great week and stay woke. Yeah.